everybody and welcome to another episode of dfv i am your co-host black cinephile and i am the other co-host aka brad that is aka brad brad how you doing today doing absolutely wonderful good 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 we got a good one today man we got a good one um coinciding with uh, the recent release of uh m night Shyamalan's knock at the cabin we got a uh, knock at the cabin versus uh richard kelly's the box from 2009 i feel like this is a nice matchup of like thrillers with characters that have to make rash decisions within a limited amount of time or there are catastrophic consequences. Right. It's a very time-sensitive thriller aspect between these two movies. And even though Cabin or Knock at the Cabin is marked as a thriller horror, I thought it was more of a suspense thriller than a horror movie, honestly, which puts yeah. it right in line with The Box from 2009. For sure, for sure. All right, man. Uh, whenever you're ready, I'm ready to hop in. Uh, yeah. Let's. Uh, you, you want to start with the box on this one? I can take over the box for this one if that's okay with you. Uh, I feel like that's. I feel like chronological is the way to go on this one. Okay, let's go with that. All right, all right. So we got the box from 2009, written and directed by Richard Kelly, our friend that made uh, Southland Tales, which was a movie. <laughs> uh. So in that's this one way to got, put it. <laughs> right, right. So in this one, we got a um, we got a story that's based off a Twilight Zone episode and also based on a short story called Button Button by Richard Matheson, who also wrote the uh, source material for I Am Legend, I believe. Um, so we have two. We have a couple, a couple played by Cameron Diaz and James Marsden. Um, they are approached by a, a strange, a stranger, a, a strange looking man with a. a a burn scar on um, the side of his face, played by Franklin Gala, who um, offers them a simple proposition. He uh, delivers to them a box. He says, um, if you press the button that's within the box, someone that you don't know, that you, that you don't know where, will die, and you will be delivered $1 million in cash. Um, they have within 24 hours to make the decision. If they don't make the decision, then the deal's off. So the 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 kind of situation that these two characters are in Cameron Diaz is a teacher that's dealing with a, um, I, I believe uh, it's something going on with her class. It was like a fundraiser or something where they didn't have enough funds. She like, was um, also taking classes at the school and as faculty, she got a discount, but be, they were taking away that discount. There you go. Taking away the discount and pretty much the couple's on hard times. The husband, he works for NASA. He's expected to, uh, you know, receive a higher position where he'll be able to travel to space. But in the end, he just was not um, chosen because he didn't pass the psychological profile. So they're hitting, they're on hard times. It's, in, it's set in the seventies. They're on hard times and they need money. So, you know, they wrestle with it for about, I want to say like the first 15 minutes or so. And then finally they decide, or rather the wife decides, let's just hit, this just hit the button. This guy could be a whack job. We don't know, you know, what his deal is. It, it could lead to nothing. Mm -hmm. um, lo and behold, it doesn't lead to nothing. Someone dies, and then the movie just gets stranger and weirder from there. Brad, was this your first time seeing this? So this is the first time I actually watched the entire movie. I'd seen the first probably like okay. 30 minutes before, and I was like, okay, this isn't grabbing me. So 
I, I never went back <laughs> and finished the movie. So the first like 30 minutes, it was like, yep, yep, this is this is what I expect from the movie. And then after that, I was like, OK, yep, this is the point where it lost me. And I was like, I don't care for this movie anymore. And but this time I just kept rolling through it. <laughs> OK, so so this one this time where you kept rolling through it. So the first time I saw this film, I don't know if it was in theaters. I think it was in theaters. And um, I was like, OK, that was that was a little strange. I the second time it was so long ago when I saw it in theaters though. The second time I watched it this time around, um, way more stuff I noticed this time around. Dude, this is a this is a very weird movie in its second half, but I like his second half way better than his first half. Yeah, with the second half, you get more of a mystery aspect with the fact that you have different citizens in this town that are being mind controlled. And acting in this very cultish way. And it adds a little bit of mystery is, okay, what's going on? Why why are all these people always constantly acting in unison when they're like walking out these doors and staring down people and everything like mm-hmm. that? So it definitely adds to kind of going, okay, I understand there's the whole box scenario. We've clarified that that is a real thing. You press a button, somebody dies. But now there's a new mystery going on, and I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very strange film. It's, it, it goes in strange directions, but I, I kind of like that a little bit. Because when it first starts, I don't know if it was like this to you, but the dialogue felt so stilted. The like, dialogue isn't how people actually talk. That's the problem. It's everything's <laughs> like, come on, mom, you're getting old. I'm not that old yet. Well, to me, you're old because we're 16 and 30 is an old age. It's like, God damn, this is so bad. Of that sounds writing. so disrespectful. It's like, you're old, mom. You're old. I said, like, hey. like, your mom is Cameron Diaz. Come on, man. She ain't, she ain't that old. Not, you know what I mean? So, like, um, at they sitting at the breakfast table in the beginning. It's such a bizarre scene uh, where they're like... Um, like, uh, uh, I don't know. I forgot what they were talking about. They were talking about Santa Claus. Like, you didn't. Did you ever actually believe in Santa? No, it was a stupid lie. I mean, a fat man coming down the chimney, that'd be home invasion. And just nothing about the dialogue in this movie. Like, even going into the later parts of the movie, but it kind of fits where right. the dialogue's a little off. But throughout the entire movie, the dialogue is probably one of the worst aspects because. It's not how anybody talks. They're always mm. over enunciating things or saying things that no person would actually say. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I'll say that um, the wallpaper, the design, the set design of this movie, the production design is very well done. Mm-hmm. I feel like it very does look 70-ish. Some of the cinematography in some scenes, it definitely looked antiquated. Right. So I'll, I'll I'll give the film those points. But yeah, it's like the, the dialogue like in the first half was just like so like, OK, I, I, I it feels like people are phoning it in or the director saying, no, no, say it in this kind of robotic way. And then it, when action, that's what it comes down to. Every line is also delivered in a very like robotic monotone way where it's like, OK, now this time with no emotion. No, no, even less than that. No, no, let's get with even less emotion than that take. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when, we, when we're going through the rounds here, uh, I love Frank Langella 
in this role of the antagonist, man. I feel like he does a great job. He has a great kind of enigmatic like terror to him. Yeah, but he always has that in every role that he plays. That's one of the best parts about his acting is he can come off as that kind of stern, mysterious person. Uh, he basically has the same kind of persona as he does in the show Kidding, if you ever watch that one, the Jim no, Carrey yet. one. But he, he's also that same kind of, you know, I, I'm done with this bullshit kind of tone for everything, keeping a little bit mysterious. And he, he plays it off fantastically in this movie, exactly mm-hmm. for what's needed as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like that's his acting in a nutshell, is he's he's always great for that kind of role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, yeah, he just fits so well in this one, man. Like, I, um, <laughs> I love the delivery of the line he gives where later on in the film, the guy's talking to him. He says, you know, you say the test is for humanity not to press the button. But then he inter- he interrupts him. He says, so my employers have told me uh, the more you people push this button, the more uh, humanity's chance at uh, being extinct uh, will, will go up uh, a percentage. And the, and the more you refuse to push the button, humanity will be saved. Is that understood? Like like the way he says that line, I'm paraphrasing it, but he he just delivers that line so perfectly. Like I feel like he's a great villain in this film. Like I I know what you mean. Like in some roles, he he just has that commanding like stance, but um I don't know. I, I, it fits very well in this it, one. It very much shines in his kind of his corner of acting that he has pretty much become a staple in. It shines in this movie. I feel like the best thing that that this film has going next to its uh, production design, it's, it's it's weirdness. Like when this film pumps up the weirdness, it becomes a way better movie. Like uh, you got the one kid in the beginning who just comes off like a raging douche. He goes, uh, he's, he's sitting in class, um, the class that Cameron Diaz teaches. And, you know, No Exit is a play that plays a big theme in this film. He goes, what happened to your foot? She goes, uh, I got in a car accident. Can we see it? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody just stares at him like, like, what's wrong with you? Mm. And so she shows him the foot. And I like how he pops back, back up at the dinner party later. And uh, he just, when uh, <laughs> James Marsden has to pick a gift, he just holds up the tool. And then, of course, James Marsden picks up the gift. And um, later on, he's just like, he, he does that very creepy, douchey laugh. When he says, you think it's funny? You think it's funny a woman uh, uh, has an injury on her foot? Yeah. Making like, fun of my wife? Do you think that's funny to you? No. It's tragic. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> you got you to love it, man. You got to love the weirdness in this movie. One thing I wanted to point out, um, when James Morrison's character gets in contact with his father-in-law, who is a cop, uh, he was the cop that uh, was was notified about the homicide, i.e. the person who died when they pushed the button. Mm-hmm. He just brings this man to a crime scene. Yeah, I love that scene <laughs> because he literally is there getting information on a license plate. And they're like, yeah, it it's uh, tied to the NSA. Oh, cool. What's those documents on your desk? Oh, this? This is just a murder case file. See, this is the outline of the body. Woman was shot point-blank range by the husband. Husband ran away. This is the crime scene. No force of a struggle or anything. 
can I see it? Cut to them at the crime scene. It's like, oh my god, how <laughs> how bad are you at your job as a police officer? I get that this is your son-in-law, because I think it was uh, Cameron Diaz's father was the police officer, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. so I yeah, get I that so. this is your son-in-law, but at the same time, you don't just bring family to the, hey, Bobby, you want to go see where a murder happened? Right. And then when he's there, here's where they cross the line. When he tries to uh, touch a piece of evidence, they go, ah, ah, ah. Oh, yeah. You know, you can't, I can't let you touch <laughs> No that. touching. But but you let him know about the case and you literally brought him to the crime scene. You mm-hmm. didn't you didn't think to stop all that before you just say, no, no, no touching evidence, you naughty boy. Yeah. <laughs> There's a line when it comes to being a bad cop, okay? You, you, there's a line that you don't cross still. <laughs> there's a line, Skipper. Uh, yeah, man, that just cracked me up. Uh, I want to say the best part of this movie to me, looking at just the totality of it, I love the library sequence. And I love. I just love how weird it is. Uh, I couldn't make sense of it, but I, I love the way it plays out. So at some point, Cameron Diaz's character and James Martin's Martin character, they both find themselves at the library trying to deep dig, deep dig into the mystery of who Franklin Geller's character is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to figure out who he is, what, what's going on here. So at some point, they go in different directions. At some point, Cameron Diaz comes into contact with Franklin Geller and they have a long conversation where he basically says to her, like, um, you know, uh, when you saw me, what was the emotion you felt? And I love this conversation between them because she goes, um, was uh, was it pity or what did she? It, it, it was love because right. he had a kind of, uh, what was it? it? Because of his scarring on his face reminded right. her of what she had with her foot, except her foot could be hidden away. His scarring couldn't. So it was a love for somebody being able to persevere with that kind of you know, marking on them that deformed them in a way that other people can very easily see. Right. And I love that he's expecting her to say pity, but he, she shocks him with that answer. Mm -hmm. And um, on the other hand, you know, we got a, we got James Marsden character. He, uh, he comes across uh, Franklin Geller's wife. And throughout the movie, a lot of people bleed a lot through their nose Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's uh, the command, the alien command over them, like really letting loose or getting becoming too powerful. But there's a lot of nosebleeds in the movie. At some point, he comes to three doors made out of water. And I love this exchange of dialogue. She goes, um, you must pick one door. And, you know, if you if you pick the wrong door, there is eternal damnation. And then he, he pauses and goes, what if I don't choose eternal damnation? damnation. <laughs> Like, this movie is bad. crazy. I love I love this movie, man. I, I also love uh, that once he walks through the so it should be said, these aren't actual doors. They're just pillars of floating water. So once he walks yeah, through one of them. That. Well, yeah. But it, once he walks through it, it, it just ends up like teleporting him in this block of water. Right above his bed, where Cameron Diaz has teleported back to the bedroom. And right. you just have, you know, him just floating above the bed in this block of water until she touches in and bursts. And I love the son's reaction to this, where there's <laughs> just water flowing down the hallway and everything from this. And he's like, 
What what happened? Where'd all this water come from? Go downstairs and get a bucket. No, but where did all the water come from? Go downstairs and get a bucket. <laughs> yeah, I like how this is like his first normal reaction. Like, okay, what's going on? Right, yeah. And like when they're downstairs, he keeps asking. And at some point she goes, Walter, now's not the time. <laughs> <laughs> but when will be the time? <laughs> right, right. So this, this, I need an answer to this because this is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how they delve more into Frank Langella's character when they um they show his headquarters, so to speak. That's kind of like a dome, and it's kind of like wrapped around water a little bit when it zooms out. And they 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 you go deeper into the mystery that a lot of people are like remote controlled by the aliens who who controlled him the moment he got struck by lightning, um, died and then came back. Or no, they you know, don't so. control him. But they're able to communicate with him because of the lightning strike that hit him. Oh, I thought they were communicating through him. They were communicating through him, but they couldn't control him because he even says at one point, like, these actions are my own. Hmm. Okay. All right. I missed that. I missed that point. Sorry. All right. So, yeah, but I like how they delve deep into him and his headquarters and like, what's his motivation and all that. Um, Jillian, was it Jillian Jacobs that played yeah. the babysitter? Yep. Yeah, her her role was weird. It, yeah, it was a little bit odd because basically her entire role was to explain what uh, James Marsden's character has accomplished at NASA, but they could have mm. just done that with him being at NASA. And aside from that, like she gets dropped off at the hotel and gets brings that into the equation where, oh, this is where the aliens store all the people that they're controlling because they can use the pool as a way to teleport people around to different areas and, you know, keep them all in one singular place. Uh, it's also a very creepy scene as she's like running down the hallways and everybody's opening the doors as she's like coming up to them, which yeah. I, I love that scene just from like a cinematography kind of perspective of just as she's just running down the hall, these doors are opening and people are just coming out of the door, just looking at her in perfect unison with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great, it was a great scene. Um, I was going to say something else about, uh, so I love where we kind of leave things off where, uh, you know, basically in the uh, climax, Franklin Geller tells them like, listen, um, I really have enjoyed you people. Like I've enjoyed getting to know you people, but, uh, here's the deal. You know, your, your son is upstairs. He can't see nor hear, uh, you keep the money. He'll stay like that forever. Uh, so mind you, he's locked in the door, so he, mm-hmm. he can't, he can't get out right now. The, the bedroom, the door is locked. He says, you know, mind you, he'll stay like that forever. Or, uh, he, t- and then he tells James Marsden, you can um, kill your wife and then uh, enjoy to not take the money and enjoy the rest of your day with your son um, normal. You know, he can see here. He'll live a long, healthy life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's how we learned. That's how the uh, the other couple died. You know, when they push the button, you know, you, you see the woman die and then you see a kid in the bathroom, you know, looking scared because when, when the cops break in there and um, get her out. Um. So, yeah, you know, I thought uh, I thought, man, that's a heck of a decision, you know, but I feel like I, I like how this film, I don't know, I, I call it a moral film, but I like how in the end it's really just like an anthropology, 
an anthropology study of humans from from the alien standpoint, you know, like right. studying humanity, you know what I mean? Studying their morality. I really like that that end point there. I, I felt like that was a great like like final choice to make. Also, the way that as they're trying to make this decision, it keeps cutting to another family that is staring at the black box with the red button and going, yes. well, it, it couldn't work, right? It's he, He's crazy. Right. It's not going to do anything. And it's as you see them hit the button, that's when James Marsden's character pulls the trigger and Cameron Diaz's character dies. So I like how they kind of even tie it to, oh, here's the people that pushed the button that led to their death. And at the same time, they also were simultaneously making the decision to save their kids sight and hearing by allowing her character to die. I love the little bit of uh, exchange of dialogue they have, which ties into something that happens in Knock towards the end of that movie, where uh, she goes like, "You, you know, when when you said think about the afterlife, you know, he smiled. You know, like they have a little bit of that dialogue, and they also had that dialogue earlier in the party, where she asked him like, "What did you see when you went through the the water door?" Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Oh, you know, it was just so beautiful. I can't explain it. You know, like, and I I love just that whole scene of them slow dancing." In comparison to him, you know, with her telling him, like, when when you asked him about an afterlife, he kind of smiled. So, you know, there's hope, you know. Um, yeah, man, I thought that was a great, a great final decision. I thought that was a great, very suspenseful, suspenseful climax. Overall, dude, I, I'd put this film miles ahead of Southland Tales, even though Southland Tales was more ambitious. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, this film was like of course, shorter length, and I feel like more controlled in his ambition. Yeah, it definitely was more controlled than Southland Tales, but that said, it still was a little bit out there with some of the premises and everything that it's trying to do. Especially when you have, like, the simple premise of, you know, you press the button, somebody random dies, you get the, you know, $100,000 or whatever sum of money. A million. A million dollars, and the Box then goes to the next family of which when they press it, you're the person that dies and it continues in a cycle like that. So only people that have pressed the button are the people that are actually going to die from that decision. And Mm -hmm. you take that and then you add in like the alien aspect to it. You add in like the controlled kind of citizens and everything. It gets a little bit crazy, but I think the craziness actually adds a better story to what is a very simplistic kind of outline already. Absolutely. I would totally agree. It, it, it very much adds to the story. Uh, with that being said, man, you know, stronger second half than the first half. Uh, I feel like the film didn't have a strong second half. It probably would have been a stinker. Uh, I give this one a solid three. I think it's right at that line to me. Uh, this is a 2.5 to me. It Okay. It, it has some good points in the second half, but that first half is really unbearable to get through. And mixed with the dialogue and everything else, it's it, there's a lot of points in this movie where, you know, it, basically 10 minutes into the movie, I'm going, how much longer is it? Oh, no, it's only 10 minutes. OK, let's keep going. <laughs> OK, how long has it been now? 15 minutes? Oh, no. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it, but I, I understand the 2.5. I ain't going to argue with you. Uh, all right. Okay, so that brings us to our second movie here, Knock at the Cabin. 
a movie from M. Night Shyamalan, known for coming up with some of the greatest twists that have been in cinema history. We are now brought to a movie that takes place all in a single location, a cabin that is being rented by two parents, Eric and Andrew, that have brought their daughter Wen to get a little time away from the city. When you have four people, Leonard, Sabrina, Redman, and Adrienne, who come to tell them that they must sacrifice one of their own willingly in order to stop the apocalypse. So through that, they kind of learn a little bit more about these four characters that have stumbled into their cabin and telling them that in order to save the world, one of them needs to die willingly while trying to convince them using you know, statements being made on the news and telling them about visions that they had and overall just coming off as complete whack jobs. Uh, from this, mm-hmm. you do have one of the best performances from him, I think, Dave Batista playing the character oh, yeah. of Leonard, who is this very calm and collective guy that was a school coach that has... Yeah, wants to just save the kids that he teaches and everything like that. You have Redmond, who is this very gruff and, you know, angry guy that is a kind of oil refinery worker, you know, standard guy and everything like that. You have Sabrina, who was just a line cook. Standard, run-of-the-mill line cook, nothing special about her. And then Adrian, who was a... She was working a in a hospital. Was she a nurse? She was a nurse, yeah. Yeah, as a nurse who, you know, all four of these characters had the same visions where they had to make these what they called tools in order to prevent the apocalypse, knowing that they had to come to this cabin with whatever family was there and convince them that in order to prevent the apocalypse, one of them would have to sacrifice themselves. That mm-hmm. is the rundown of this movie. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I came into this film, M. Night Shyamalan, through all his ups and downs, is a director I still root for. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I um, I enjoyed Old. Uh, I'm, I'm loving him in his second part of his career. You know, I loved The Visit. I loved Old. Uh, I loved them for how weird they were, especially Old. Old is really weird, but I really like it. Um you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that Avatar movie that doesn't exist, you know, the happening, uh, <laughs> everyone has duds. You know what I'm saying? I, what, what I like about M. Night Shyamalan is he approaches like kind of B-movie plots with the mainstream budget. But he do, but he approaches these plots with like, like you know, in an unusual way. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like something... Yeah, but he still kind of does with the budgets. Uh, One thing that he does is he's very kind of conservative with the budgets that he has for these movies. Like Knock at the Cabin was made with a $20 million budget, which is seen as almost Mm. like an indie budget by today's standards. Mm. That that, that might be why he keeps getting hired. You know, if you can be frugal with your money and still be creative, uh, that's a gift. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I heard Christopher Nolan on his films. He um, I think one thing Jessica Chastain said about him is that his his film crew moves like it's an independent production. They shoot a scene, goes well, and they move on to the next. You know, they'd be like they, they're on the move. You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, I I uh, that's that's interesting to hear. You know, the, the thing with a movie like this is that 
you know, you would expect a film like this to be shot in a very tense way. And mm-hmm. while this film does have tense moments, it, it, there's kind of an awkward pace to it throughout. Like, you know, flashbacks are put in like the most awkward, strange moments. Mm-hmm. We're like, you know, like the, the tension is building up and you have momentum as an audience member. Then all of a sudden cut to this flashback and the flashbacks are good. They They add to the character development, but it's like, dang, that was a way to really like kind of like kill the mood. You know what I mean? Yeah, all the flashbacks should have been kind of a hypercut at the beginning of the movie to introduce us to Eric and Andrew. Because by the time that they're happening in the movie, yeah, we're already on this tense thing where they, whenever they popped up, I was kind of going, okay, cool, that's that's nice and all. They're, they're getting their daughter here. Oh, yep, oh, meeting right. the parents. Just, oh, they're singing they're, in the car. Right, singing in the car. <laughs> it's, it's cute and everything. Oh, they had an interaction at a bar. Okay, that, that would have been more powerful if they showed that toward the beginning of the movie instead of now, but whatever. Right. But going through it all, it's like uh, you the pacing almost comes to a halt whenever those scenes come up. And then mm-hmm. it starts to ramp back up again, and it gets really good, and then it comes back to a halt at another one of those scenes. Yeah, it kills the momentum. Um, but I got to say, one thing I love about this movie is the tight close-ups. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I feel like they they work so well. Like, that opening scene where um, Dave Batista's character, um, I believe he's Leonard. Leonard, he Leonard, yeah. Yeah, Leonard and Wen, they're talking. I like the close-ups on his face and her face as they're talking about catching grasshopper, grasshoppers and they're learning more about each other. And I love how the tension plays out where he goes, um, yeah, but I'm a little sad when, and when goes, what's wrong? Well, yeah, I got to do something that I don't want to do. Like, I, I like how M. Night Shyamalan plays with the tight close-ups and adds tension to it. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And then you see the three, his three companions coming with the, with the, with the weapons and everything. Yeah, I, I, um, acting wise, dude, Dave Batista killed this. I mean, this is the great, this is a great, uh, breakthrough leading performance for him. I liked him in Army of the Dead, but I feel like this film proved that that wasn't a one trick pony move. You know what I mean? Yeah, when it comes to Dave Batista, because he was worried that he was getting locked into the comedic role because of Drax and everything like that. And he was like, I want to mm-hmm. be in more serious kind of roles. You know, he loves doing action movies and everything like that, but he doesn't want to just be the goofball character in them all, which he was worried that he was going to get typecast into. And I think this movie absolutely shows that he does have the range to pull off very serious kind of roles Absolutely. Especially as Leonard, because Leonard is a very intimidating person. You know, Dave Mm -hmm. Bautista is a big guy. He's, you know, he definitely overheads everybody else that's in this cabin and could come off as very threatening. But his demeanor and everything throughout is always like this very calm, collected. He like almost whisper talks, you know, in order to not come off as intimidating. He's intimidatingly huge, but a sweet person. But yes. he's a sweet person that you don't want to be on the wrong side of. Right. At the same time, like he's very calm and collected, but there's always that thing of, you know, what if he were to snap? Because mm-hmm. you got to keep in mind throughout the entire, I'd say for most of the movie, Andrew and Eric are tied up in chairs where mm-hmm. they can't do anything. And they're being told by these four people that have burst into their house we're not here to kill you. We're here to watch you kill each other. 
And well, we're here to watch you sacrifice one of your own. Right. We're here said. to yeah. watch you decide which of you is going to die and watch the other do it. And right. I, I love how they like even play with that a little bit with uh, between Eric and Andrew when they're kind of threatening them and going, I thought you couldn't hurt me. We can't hurt you. Uh, it's especially something that like Redmond gets, you know, infuriated about because he comes off as like this very, you know, I, I, I want to say like off kilter kind of person. Mm-hmm. That's very he's like a, twitchy. He's a dick. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's a little bit of a dick. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, uh, I, as far as casting goes, most of it's good. I like Jonathan Groff and Ben Aldridge as Eric and Andrew. Mm-hmm. I feel like they did a terrific job as that couple. Uh, I like how Eric, you know, the whole time he has a concussion and you could tell he's the sweeter one. He's the more most he's the more empathetic one. And Andrew is like all fury. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He just he wants to save his husband and his daughter and get them out of this mess from these whack jobs in his mind. You know, what I mean, I, I I like how they both play off each other in, in those scenes. But I don't know, man. Rupert Grint. I didn't I thought I thought he was miscast as Redmond. Like, you know, I look at this Redmond character as a guy that kind of has a screw you attitude. He mm-hmm. doesn't want to be here. But he's kind of like a, let's just get this over with. I I didn't get that from him. He had a little bit of like that antsiness with him. But at the same time, with his character being wiped out of the movie within probably the first like 20 minutes or so, it didn't Mm -hmm. give his character much room to shine. He basically came in, was like, I'm going to be a dick. And then he was like, okay, well, I guess it's my time to die here. And he does the whole white mask over his face and, you know. But see, even with that, you you keep the dick around. You know what I'm saying? You keep the the adversary around in the plot. You you, you wait to kill them off. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because, like, at the end, you're just stuck with people going, we don't want to, we don't want to hurt you. All right. We're going to kill each other for a while, but we don't want to hurt you. Everything's okay. Let's let's turn on some cartoons for the for the kid. Like that kind of that kind of dulls the tension a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It it does. Uh, It definitely like ups the tension a little bit when, you know, you see him die and it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, these people need business. But it's the fact that they got rid of the one guy that was kind of against the status quo, because the other three characters, you have Leonard, who's very like down to earth. He he just wants to do this. He's very calm and collected. You have mm-hmm. Sabrina, who's a little bit twitchy, but overall, yeah. she's just very quiet. She doesn't really say anything. And then the other person's a nurse. So it, there's really. Well, Adrian's the twitchy one. Sabrina was uh, the nurse. Was Sabrina the nurse? Yeah, Sabrina oh, okay. was the nurse. Uh, so, yeah, but same thing. You just have somebody that's a very quiet, twitchy person. You have a nurse, and then you have Leonard, who's this, like, uh, just very compassionate kind of seeming person. So there was really no tension with who was left over after Redman was killed. Uh, which I will say, when it came to the deaths in this movie, they mm. were very tame for what I was expecting. Because yeah, this is they were. An, r-rated Shyamalan movie and i'm not going to say that Shyamalan's movies have gotten into like grotesque areas before but there's been some scenes in his previous movies that have made you kind of wince and go oh i didn't like that let me tell you something man go go ahead i'll let you talk now i was gonna say 
the last time you we were promised an R rating, the first M. Night Shyamalan R rated movie. Right. Uh, it was about trees. So <laughs> let's not let's not act like we were shocked that the that the deaths weren't tame. That the deaths were tame. I mean, that's true. That that's you're not wrong. <laughs> but at the same time, like I expected because this is you know billed as a horror thriller movie and for all the deaths everything happens basically off screen we see a little bit of blood here and there but for the most part all the deaths are kind of you hear them more than you see them Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah. that that was surprising to me especially for this kind of very close-up movie the only time it's not close up or it goes too close is during these scenes where you kind of see Redmond's body fall and you have all the weapons kind of sticking out of his head. But even after that, they're like, Oh, let's move his body. So, you know, people don't have to see and, you know, we can keep going. Uh, Same thing with Adrian and then Sabrina. And, you know, it, I do love the fact that after uh, Redmond's death, Leonard just can't contain himself and he has to run into the kitchen to vomit into the sink because he's just mm-hmm. so disgusted by what they had to do. He's he's a nice guy. He doesn't right. want to do this. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But he's compelled to because they're all called to do this from a vision. You know, they're all called to do this from a vision to prevent the apocalypse. Um but my thing is, if you're going to tease me with gore and this is a rated R movie, if this was PG-13, then I know what to expect. If this is a rated R movie, show me some gore. You know, yeah. you ain't got to go all saw with it. But yeah. Right. It didn't have to, I wasn't looking for something insane or anything right. like that because it is still M. Night Shyamalan. But at the same time, when you have a movie with an R rating that's a horror movie, I kind of expect something. This is almost like a PG-13 movie. I don't. It very it is. I, I don't understand where the R rating came into unless it was because of like the hate speech that is kind of, you know, spread throughout the movie because the couple of Eric and Andrew are a gay couple. Even then, it would still be PG-13. Like, I don't know if that that's enough to give it R, R rating. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. But uh, I did like the twist. Uh, here's the thing. The presentation of the twist with Redman being the guy that um, um, assaulted uh, uh, Andrew mm-hmm. earlier in their relationship. When they showed a little flash forward, the little foreshadowing thing of him bringing the bottle down, it's so it, it's a great foreshadowing, like flash of a clip, but it's so misplaced because like his dialogue, if you don't pay attention to what he's saying, the the movie kind of skips over it and then comes back to it last minute. Like, mm-hmm. yo, he attacked me at a bar. That's O'Bannon. And you're like, well, O'Bannon, who's that? And then they kind of skip over the movie kind of moves past it. Like, because Leonard goes, oh, that's weird. Yeah. But back to this decision you got to make here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, and then it, it comes back to it rightfully and shows the whole clip. Um, yeah. What did you feel about that twist? With that twist, I feel like the twist of that was supposed to be, oh, maybe there is actually like a hate crime thing going on here. It's not actually the apocalypse and everything. But right. I feel like that would have had more impact if we had seen him at the beginning, like in a slideshow kind of fashion for those scenes. And then sure. you see him as one of the people that shows up at the cabin. And then you can, as the viewer, go, oh, I recognize him. He's the guy that, you know, originally attacked one of these people. And 
now he's here to like saying that he doesn't want to kill them, but he needs to for the apocalypse. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. they're going, oh, you're attacking us because we're gay. And you have like that little thing in the back of your head going, yeah, he's he's the guy that attacked him before. This is definitely a targeted attack. It's not a random mm-hmm. occurrence. But yeah. we lose that because we're not revealed until that until after he's already dead. And even then, the scenes kind of showing how that progressed happened so late into the movie that it's like, okay, th- thanks for that information, I guess. I I don't know what to right. do with this. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, yeah, but I like how it teases with, um, okay, are these guys for real or are they really whack jobs? Like, mm-hmm. is, is this a hate crime? Are they just crazy? Is this for real? they just meet on some message board and they did they, you, you know, they just decided that, okay, let's just, let's just do this. You know, I, I like how it teases with that. Cause like when they said, when they showed the first news report of, um, I believe it was the tsunamis, right? What, like, uh, yeah. It was, was the, the, the earthquakes and the tsunamis, the earthquakes and the tsunamis. I like how, you know, Andrew goes, well, that happened not too long ago. It's, it's a time broadcast. You had mm-hmm. to know that was going to show up. You had to know that was going to happen. And then they go with the um, the disease outbreak, you know, like the virus outbreak. Oh, well, that's been happening for some time. That doesn't prove that the apocalypse is happening. So, um, oh, man, dude, this one shot was so cool, special effects-wise. I, I love the scene, the found footage shot of the waves coming. Mm-hmm. But, like, when they showed the planes dropping, like, raindrops, oh, yeah. that was so cool. Yeah, I absolutely love the kind of because it's such a terrifying idea that mm-hmm. planes would just start dropping from the sky. Because first off, you know, you have the terrifying aspect of the people in those planes that are just now all of a sudden falling. You have the aspect of the people on the ground watching this and the aspect of like everything that's happening when those planes land into the earth, like everything around that is being decimated. So mm. it's a terrifying idea that just all the planes in the sky just start falling and nobody has any answers as to why. And yeah. on top of that, it's happening right after a tsunami has hit and you have a plague kind of spreading even, you know, I think they were saying it was going a hundred times faster than it was previously recorded during that mm-hmm. day or something like that, where, mm-hmm. you know, they were basically unable to take in all the children that were coming to the hospitals with this virus. So it, it from an onlookers perspective of this apocalypse, if you were in the, I would love to see a movie from the perspective of one of the people that isn't like in the know about it, just going, what is going on right now? Kind of thing. I like to see a short film about that. I don't know about a right. long film. Not like a two yeah. hour movie or something like that, but something. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I, I definitely hear you. Cause like when you're in a moment like that, it's like when COVID hit, right? It was slowly happening. But then after a while, it's like stay at home orders. Okay. I thought this was just like a, like a flu thing. Like, mm-hmm. is, this, is this, is this for real? You know, it's a scary time being caught in something like that. So we get towards the uh, towards the climax. And, you know, um, after Leonard, you know, kills himself, uh, he tells him, I'm telling you, you got to make a choice. You, you have to make a choice. Um, there's a tent. There's a moment between Andrew and Eric where um, basically um, Eric tells Andrew, look, just shoot me. Like, you know, I'm telling you, it's been made clear all along who these people are. You know, Shyamalan's going to Shyamalan. 
You gotta, right, yeah. gotta throw that one gotta throw that one final twist in there. They're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I'm like, all right. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm like, okay. I, I guess. You know, it, it, it's it's not a bad twist. It's kind of I guess it's kind of a twist you kinda already know in the back of your mind. Four people, apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I think they had different color masks. I they had the different colored shirts and everything like that. Like they knew exactly who they were because, uh, what was it? Uh, nurturing guidance, uh, something like empathy and malice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I like the ending, not so much for the twist, but for like the, like the emotional, like flash forward where he tells, um, Andrew, like, listen, just picture yourself, picture you and when, you know, when's grown up, you know, you're you're she's she, she's pursuing a doctorate degree. She's pursuing being a doctor. Mm-hmm. And they show that vision of them being in the car and, and older in uh, an older Andrew and an older when and they're laughing in the car. And uh, it's it's a sweet moment. You know, it's it's a little um, it's a little melodramatic. A lot of this film is melodramatic, but it's it's a sweet melodramatic moment. Right. And so, um, you know, uh, Andrew shoots Eric. You know, they get when they go to a nearby diner. Well, they they find the car that Leonard and them came in. Um, you know, they go to a nearby diner and they see news reports of like, oh, you know, sunshine coming out. Everything's better. Yeah. The, the storm yeah. is stopping. Planes yeah. are landing. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, yeah. Go on. I was gonna, no, I was going to say there was that moment in the car where they turn on the radio and the song comes on. And then, uh, you know. Andrew turns it off, then Wynn turns it back on, then Andrew turns it off, and then they pause, and then he turns it back on, and they drive off. Um, yeah, I thought that was a, I thought that was a nice way to end things. Yeah, it's it, so one thing that uh, when you're watching like a Shyamalan movie, that mm-hmm. I, I guess it's gotten to that predictability level of, ooh, what's the twist gonna be? And I was waiting for whatever the twist was the entire time like as the movie's ending it was like they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse yeah yeah okay and and the apocalypse was happening okay yeah yeah and and what where's the twist was that the twist was was the twist that was actually happening (laughs) i just knew that was it i was like all right all right that's the one because it's like a mental checklist you do in your head like you know Shyamalan's gonna Shyamalan let's let's Mm -hmm. where's the twist just tell us what it is right but usually his the twists in his movie still catch you off guard in some aspect like you're like okay I figured it out 90% of the way but that last 10% is like a huge key thing like with uh, Glass where it was you know this organization that you know is trying to prevent or fix people that think that they're superheroes uh, Mm. ends up it's an organization meant to kill superheroes and it's like oh my god that's a great twist and you have like obviously with you know his previous movies and everything where you're like okay that's a good twist I, I like where they're going with that and I like where they're going with this I can't share that with you on glass. I I didn't like that movie. That movie was a disappointment to me. I mean, I, the twist was kind of like, oh, cool. Yeah, like we didn't really know this chick was evil. Like, <laughs> but, you know, like, I, I hear what you're saying, though. I hear what you're saying. There's usually still that, like, little bit of the twist that you didn't figure out. Like, yes, you know that she's evil, but, you know, at the same time, it's like going through it, 
you figure out about 90% of the twist. And then that last yeah. 10% is like that kicker of, Oh, I didn't get that part. Oh, that's good. I like that. Okay. Yeah. This movie didn't you have know, that to me. <laughs> yeah. You know, I say this, um, you know, M night Shyamalan, before we get to like the rating or whatever, M night Shyamalan has the weirdest cameos, bro. In his movies, like in old, he was like the tour guide or whatever that took him to the Island. In this one, did you see the infomercial he was in? Yeah, he was doing the air fryer commercial. <laughs> right. I'm like, this dude has the weirdest cameos in this movie. You know, I I, I just I just laughed about it when I saw him. Um, I mean, but I, I got to respect it in some way, because let's be honest, if I ever got to a point that I could make a movie, you're damn right that I'm getting a cameo in said movie. I don't care where it is. I'll be like somebody that's getting a cup of coffee or something. I don't care. <laughs> It's, you're just going to be a mailman or something like that. Right, yeah. Something low-key. I'm throwing myself you know. into that movie. Uh, I, I think Kevin Smith even said when he was doing Clerks that uh, there was no way he was going to make this movie and not throw himself into it since he was throwing like his entire life savings at that movie and still not be in a movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why not? Why not? You know what I'm saying? So going off that, I feel like there's like three tiers of Shyamalan. There's like... um. There's like great Shyamalan, you know what I'm saying? Like this unbreakable sixth sense, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, and there's like, uh, there's, there's bad Shyamalan. There's the happening, that Avatar movie that doesn't exist. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would put this at a, I put, I put this solid mid Shyamalan. You know what I'm saying? I don't think it's great, but I think, I think it's solid for what it is. Mm-hmm. I would, um, you know, I, I'd honestly give this a, just a straight down the middle three out of five. Uh, I think this one's a 3.5. It's okay. It's better than a lot of Shyamalan, but it's definitely not top tier Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. At the same time, this is absolutely top tier for Dave Bautista at this point in his career. And he, he saves it. Yeah, He absolutely does save this movie. And, you know, same with the, you know, Eric and Andrew and when and mm-hmm. everything like that. But, you know, when it came to this movie, it's a very good plot. I really like the writing in it. I really like the characters in it. The idea that it's all kind of a, I'm trying to remember what it's called, uh, like a bottle movie where Cham- everything yeah, like, takes like place a, in the same location. Like a chamber piece, I think is what they call it. A yeah. chamber piece. Yeah. And I, I like how they definitely bring the tension with that, where you don't have any idea what's really going on in the outside world, except for these news clips. And there is that mystery of, you know, is this real? Mm-hmm. Is this actually happening? And I wish that they could have dove into this. A li- if this was made by a different director, exactly the same way it was, parts of this probably would have caught me off guard just because with Shyamalan, I'm expecting the twist. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if this was released and Shyamalan released it under like a pseudonym or something like that, where you didn't know it was a Shyamalan movie, exact same movie, everything else, I think that the twist would have been a little bit more impactful. Hmm. That's interesting. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, it still would have felt Shyamalan to me. It, it would have felt Shyamalan, but at the same time, you would have watched it and gone, you know, you wouldn't have had that in your head until after the movie like rolled credits and you went, that was a very Shyamalan esque movie, you know, down to yeah. the like, even at the twist at the end and everything. But if he had released this movie as like Bob Smith 
or something like that. And you're like, oh, man, this this is a really good Bob Smith movie. You know, this is a coming out of, you know, nowhere director with this big movie. And this is mm-hmm. I, I like this. This is good. And then later it's like in the credits directed by Bob Smith and it changed into like M. Night Shyamalan. And you're like, oh, that makes more sense now. <laughs> that would be the greatest M. Night Shyamalan meta twist of all time. Right. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> so you thought I was gone, didn't you? You nope, didn't expect me. <laughs> right, right, right. I would love that if that was the case. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know I'm. T- I know I was tied for both, but uh, I'm kind of gonna lean with you on this one. I, I, I edge it to this one over the box. Yeah, I, I think that when it comes to Knock at the Cabin, it you know every time i'm saying the name of the movie i want to say knock at the cabin door for whatever reason that's what i keep thinking the name (laughs) of the movie was uh but yeah knock at the cabin definitely is a better structured movie and Mm -hmm. you know when it came to the mystery of it the mystery was kind of ruined like i said by the fact that you knew that this was a Shyamalan movie there would be that mystery about it Mm -hmm. but at the same time I don't think it completely ruined the twist of this movie. No, 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 it did. It did. I, I, I would agree that it didn't ruin the twist. Um, all right, man. So quick after show topics. Uh, you seen anything lately? Anything new? Uh, not much. I have been watching The Last of Us show on HBO, which I plan to get into that. Uh, I can't remember. Did you play the games or not for that one? I started it, but I, I didn't finish it, you know. Okay. I, yeah. I, I can say as somebody that really enjoyed the first game, uh, this show, if you were a fan of the game, check out the show. It's absolutely phenomenal how crafted. I've seen some people even show like clips of comparing like scenes from the game to the show and mm-hmm. it being very close one to one things that I didn't even remember from the game that were actually imported into the show very well. And Pedro Pascal as like the lead is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing rave reviews. People are saying like, dude, this might be the best video game adaptation of all time. I don't think there's a might in there that this is absolutely oh, point is. blank is the best adaptation we've ever gotten. Mm, okay. And I'm hoping I, that it leads to like a lot of like different directors and writers kind of looking at this and going, okay, so they took what was said in the video game and they just moved it over to a movie format and they didn't change anything. Well, we can do that for other things too. <laughs> And give us some really good adaptations in the future. Right. Hey, um, you know, I, I'm, I was thinking about probably starting that today because my, my main concern was, OK, do I have to play the game to get all the missing bits of the story that won't be in the show? But from what I'm hearing from everybody, they're like, dude, they're, they're keeping it pretty faithful. Like uh, you can just watch the show. Yeah, I can say so far from what I've seen from the show, because I'm still an episode behind, is mm-hmm. that... There's no like references where if you haven't played the game, you'd be like, I'm lost on this. It definitely keeps you up the same way that playing the game does. Okay, good deal. There might be an Easter egg that I kind of got that I didn't think of that they didn't explain or something, but nothing Mm. that would be groundbreaking and make you go, I don't understand what's going on anymore. Hmm. 
Okay. All right. I'll check it out. I'll check it out. So out of five, you give it a five so far? Uh, at, yeah, out of five, easily. Oh, okay. That changes things. Okay. All right. I'll check it out. Um, your boy, James Gunn, made a big announcement for what's to come. Yeah, he finally sat down and kind of named the layout for the DCEU uh, following the Flash movie that's coming out. So right now we still do have Shazam, uh, Flash, Blue Beetle, and Aquaman 2 coming. And after that, Mm -hmm. though, we're going to get an Amanda Waller show taking place kind of in the same time frame as Peacemaker. We are getting something on okay. the Authority, which is a new group that I actually didn't know about. I actually started looking them up a little bit after this announcement. I was like, "Okay, I can get behind this." <laughs> um, what else is there? You have a new Batman: The Brave and the Bold coming. You have a new Superman movie coming, and then you have a new Supergirl movie coming as well. And I want to say there was another mm. movie, but I'm blanking on which one it was. I don't. I, I didn't catch the announcement. I just know that the announcement was made. I'm like, man, I know Brad is all over this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because when it comes to reworking the DCEU, it's something that's needed to be done to kind of give it a mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say like a kick in the right direction, but it need to have some kind of stability on where everything ties in with it. Because we're still going to have things like the Joker and Joker 2, which are going to take place in like an Elseworlds kind of movie. Same with uh, Matt Reeves' Batman, Mm -hmm. which is going to take place in its own kind of universe and everything. But when it comes to the main DCEU canon, we kind of have to know how things line up and what's considered like a Mm -hmm. part of it and what isn't. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... um I see good things coming from DC. I feel like up until this point, they've they've taken chances on good directors, given some creative freedom in some areas, not so mm-hmm. much creative freedom in other areas. But uh, I, I like where this is going. Uh, I would have liked to hear that Batgirl was going to be released after all, but I, I guess that's still canceled. But, you know. Uh, apparently, they've already like purged the footage and everything. Because I can't remember who the director is, but he even said that he can't it's get access it's to it. It's a team. It's a team of two directors. Okay. But they even it, said that it's the same they directors couldn't that access did. it. Yeah, I was going to say it's the same directors that did Bad Boy for Life. Mm. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's apparently uh, been purged. That's unfortunate. <laughs> that's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to the future. I'm looking forward to what, uh, DC brings to the table. So, uh, yeah, I would check out that last of us, man. Uh, what I wanted to do was I wanted to check out the co-creators first show before that, which was Chernobyl, Mm -hmm. um, which I heard was also really good and then get into the last of us. But, uh, I'll definitely add that to the list, man. So, uh, yeah, I guess that wraps it up. Check out my review of knock at the cabin on 8bitwaffles.com if you would, uh, so be obliged to please keep watching movies. Please keep talking about movies. Let us know what you fill out, what you feel won in this battle, if you agree with us or not. And uh, take care.